The time to get ready for Jesus' return is this day, today. This is the fifth message in the series, Life After Life. The message is entitled, How Will the World End? Part 2. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Uh, and we are continuing our series together entitled Life After Life. And I want to continue the thought that I started last weekend on how will the world end. If you missed last weekend's message, let me really encourage you to go back to our website, church-redeemer.org. All the messages are archived there. They're free for you to download. Uh, so you have all those resources available for you. And last week's message will be there as well for you to uh, take note of. You'll, you'll really not fully appreciate today's message without also having last week's as well because that was part one. Today is part two of how will the world end? I think all of us have had thoughts about that before. Maybe you've laid awake at night, as I have at times, and thought about how in the world will the world end? What's going to happen in the days to come? What will life be like after this life? And how do we recognize when it's going to transpire? Maybe you've had conversations with people because they know that you're a Christian and they ask you something about the last days or the last times and a question sometimes that maybe might stump you in some way. And I'm trying to give you biblical understanding so we'll all be uh, biblically informed Christians and understand something about what happens at the end of this world because we are rapidly approaching the end of time. No one knows when that time is, but we know that we're closer than we've ever been before. I've tried to describe for you uh, what I understand to be the process of moving toward the end of times. There are very different uh, differences of inter interpretation among theologians regarding how the world we're in, but what I'm trying to do is give you the best biblical understanding that I can bring to you and my particular perspective. And so we have this little chart that perhaps helps you a bit here. All of us come into life. There's this moment that God gives you this amazing gift of life. It happens in your mother's womb. That as soon as that egg and sperm connect together and there's life formed, conception of life is life. Life doesn't happen after you're born or sometime later in the process. No, life happens at conception. We believe in the sanctity of life. We believe in the value of life. We believe that every life at conception is a gift from Almighty God. You're going to be in your mother's womb for somewhere around nine months, and then you'll have what you know to be your birthday, and everybody has a birthday, and each year you add years. Some of us are now subtracting years because it helps us to feel better about ourselves, but that notwithstanding, you're going to have a birthday every year that is celebrated in some form, and you will have an accumulation of birthdays over your lifespan, and you'll see here from the beginning of your life to the point of death, there's that little dash, and that dash represents the accumulation of years that you will live. They will be different for, for practically all of us. Some people live just a few years. Some will live longer in terms of their lifespan. But all of us will live a certain specific number of years, and then we will have our moment of death, and you will breathe your last breath. When you breathe your last breath, there will be something issued called a certificate of death. Just like there is a birth certificate, there is a death certificate, and your life here on earth will have come to an end. And so the question is, what happens then when you breathe your last breath? Well, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us that as believers in Jesus, we go immediately from the last breath here on earth, we go immediately into this intermediate place called paradise. 
And the Bible is very clear. Jesus himself talked about this with the thief on the cross. When the thief on the cross requested uh, salvation, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And so we saw that Jesus was identifying this intermediate place leading up to the last day that I'll talk about here in just a moment called paradise. For those who do not know the Lord or have a relationship with Christ, they go immediately to a place called Hades. Hades, if you will, is a, if you will, the beginning dimensions of what hell will be for eternity, all awaiting something that we see happening next, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, during history, as we're moving toward this second coming of Jesus Christ, all throughout history, two simultaneous things are transpiring since Jesus came on the earth. When Jesus died, rose from the grave, ascended back to the right hand of God the Father, he proclaimed and declared his kingdom, and he gave us the gospel message. And so now in this season, in this era of time, in this age that we're in now, it is the age where we are preaching the gospel. We're seeing the kingdom of God advance, and it will continue to advance until Jesus comes back again. The kingdom is not going to stop because you can't stop the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen right there? Okay. You can't stop it, okay? And so there's the power of the kingdom that is moving forward. Simultaneously, there's the power of evil that continues to increase in the world around us, and it will intensify coming to that point of the last day. And there will be, a, if you will, a crescendo moment when the forces of good and the forces of evil come to this point of conflict. The evil will be personified, at least I believe, and many believe in the form or a personalization of someone known as the Antichrist. John refers to him in his epistles as the Antichrist. Uh, uh, Paul refers to him as the man of lawlessness or the man of sin. The book of Revelation refers to this particular person or personification of evil as the beast. So whether we call it the beast or the Antichrist or the, uh, the, the man of sin or lawlessness, there's the personification of evil for the great last battle. And we often refer to that as the battle of Armageddon. Whether that will be a physical battle or not, it's not quite clear in Scripture. It depends upon how much symbolism that you read into certain aspects of the book of Revelation. But the battle of Armageddon, it may very well transpire on that battlefield in Israel. I've stood out, my wife and I, many times and looked over the valley of Armageddon. Napoleon said it's the greatest battlefield in the world. It's incredible to look over and to imagine that great last battle. And it will happen with something that we see here, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about that second coming of Jesus Christ all the way toward the final judgment. And then next weekend, we'll wrap up this series talking a bit more about this judgment and how it relates to us as believers. So four things today I want to share with you. Number one, at the second coming of Jesus Christ, something incredible is going to happen. The dead in Christ will rise and the believers who are alive will meet Jesus in the air. When Christ comes back again, there's going to be, yes, a cataclysmic moment from the world's perspective, but also it, would be, it will be a glorious moment because the Bible says those who've died before Jesus came back again, they're going to be raised from their graves, and those who are alive when Jesus comes back again will be caught up together with the Lord in the air. This is very clear in Scripture. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven 
It doesn't say he might come down. It says he will come down. There's that promise. With a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And notice this. What will happen when he comes? And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And then Paul adds these words, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul says, as you look forward to that time when Jesus comes back again, you need to know something is going to transpire. The dead in Christ are going to rise first, and those of us who are alive will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air as is coming. We're greeting the King as he comes back to this earth again. Amen. I'm looking forward to the fact that whether I'm dead in Christ or alive when he comes, I'm going to be a party that welcomes the King when he comes back again. Amen. You're going to be his welcoming party. Can anybody say hallelujah? Aren't you glad to be a part of the welcoming party? But that applies to believers. That applies to believers. Second thing, the final day begins the final judgment of all people of all ages, the living and the dead. And so when Christ comes back again, what happens to the dead in Christ? They rise. What happens to those who are alive when he comes? We're caught up as a welcoming party to meet the Lord in the air. And that sets in motion the last day, which begins the process of judgment for the world, for all the living and for all the dead. Because the world as we have known it will have now come to a conclusion. Whatever decisions were going to be made for relationship with God would have been made by this particular time, and decision time is over with because the world and history as we've known it has come to its conclusion, and now a new age is going to begin. And the coming of Jesus begins this final judgment. There are two judgments that you need to be aware of that will happen on the final day. The first judgment that will happen on that final day that will be set in motion on that final day is the great white throne judgment. And I'm going to talk about both of these in just a moment. The second judgment that will be set in motion on that day when Jesus comes back again is the judgment seat of Christ. So the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. Say those with me. The great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let's talk about this final judgment. Let's talk, first of all, about the great white throne judgment. If you're a believer in Jesus, you don't need to worry about this judgment. Jesus already took it for you. Okay. Got a little amen, a little shuffling around. Okay. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to worry about the great white throne judgment. Jesus faced it for you on the cross of Calvary, okay? And if you're a follower of Jesus, that one is out of the way. That's a judgment for those who've not received the gift of salvation. They've rejected relationship with God. Jesus himself talks about this in Matthew chapter 25. Listen to the words of Jesus. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, when he comes, not if he comes, but when he comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another 
there as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So the great white throne judgment is the moment when the sheep are separated from the goats. Aren't you glad that you're a sheep? Okay. Aren't you glad that Jesus took the goat out of you? Amen. Okay. Okay. You used to be a goat before you met Jesus, right? That's why the Bible says if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. All things pass away. Some of you have a little bit of goat still in you. Okay. We all do, don't we? Just from time to time. But thank God that through the blood of Jesus, we've been washed and cleansed, and we've been brought into the family of God, and we've been brought into the kingdom of God. And so we're not a part of the goat group. We're a part of the sheep group, if you know Jesus. The Bible says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know me. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. In the book of Revelation, this great white throne judgment is described as well. Chapter 20 of this great book of Revelation. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place uh, for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. John is seeing this vision, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead uh, that were in it, and, and, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, the first death being natural death, second death being spiritual death for eternity. Anyone whose name, look at verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You need to understand that there's one book your name needs to be in. There's one reservation that needs to be settled in your life. You need to make sure that your name is in the book of life. If you were to be able to go to heaven right now and see that book and flip over through the O's, there's an O Shields by the name of Dale somewhere there because as a seven-year-old little boy, I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life, and I know my name is in that book. My name's not in that book because of anything good I've done, not of any merit that I have, not of any great things that I've accomplished in my life. My name's not in that book because I'm a pastor. My name is not in that book because I go to church or love the church. My name is in that book because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He shed his blood so I could be washed and cleansed. And by faith in him, I have entrance into eternity. And when I accepted Christ into my life, just as you have done, perhaps, He wrote your name in the book of life. And if your name is in that book, that's the only reservation you need for eternity. It's the only reservation you need. Separating the sheep from the goats, the great white throne judgment. You need not fear the great white throne judgment because Jesus already took that for you on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sins. But there is a judgment for us as believers. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is described in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, or excuse me, verse 10. For we must all appear, now by the way, before I read this, Paul is talking to Christians here. He's writing to the Christian believers in the church in Corinth, so it's not addressed to unbelievers, it's addressed to those of us who are Christians. 
For we, that is, as believers in Christ, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Having received Jesus as Lord of our life, we have a responsibility, having received the gift of salvation and the gift of grace, to have done something with it in our lives. Okay? Are you hearing me? Okay. You don't make your way into heaven by good works, but having received salvation by grace, that grace is, is designed to produce good works in you. Amen. That God wants you to now use your life as a believer for the advance of his kingdom. And one day we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to give an account for what we've done with a gift given to us. You might recall a story, Matthew chapter 25, of the master that called three of his servants in. And he, to one man he gave five bags of gold, to another man two, to another one. He goes away on a long journey. You can read this in Matthew 25. He comes back and they come and he's basically saying, what did you do with what I gave you? And the man with five bags of gold said, well, I took what you gave me and now I have 10 bags. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. The man with two turns it into four bags. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, here's what he also said. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You've been faithful with a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. So we see that God desires for us to do something with the gift of salvation that's been given to us. You're doing something doesn't get you to heaven. It doesn't save you. But having been saved, God expects you to grow God expects you to serve. God expects you to give for the advance of his kingdom. And that's why you hear us at church all the time encouraging you to get into classes and learn your Bible. Not because we're just trying to get lots of numbers in a class. We want you to grow as a Christian. Why? Because one day you're going to stand before Jesus and give an account of your life. That's why we try to get you to serve. Why? Because the church needs us to serve. No, the church is not about getting you to serve because we need you to serve. You need to serve because you need to use the gifts that God has given you so that you can stand before him one day. He's going to say, what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? What did you do with the grace that I poured out upon you? And you say, well, I didn't do anything. I sat on the pew for 45 years. I heard a lot of good sermons, Jesus. And that's not going to impress him. What he's going to say is, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you steward those gifts? Were you a giver? Did you advance the purposes of the kingdom? And that's why we encourage you to get, get involved in the growth of your spiritual journey in serving God. Because one day, every one of us will stand before God and we will give an account of our lives before him. And Jesus graciously and God the Father will graciously extend rewards to those who have diligently served Him. But understand that you and I, and I'm going to talk more about this, Lord willing, next week. My message, entitled, my message title for next week is How to Prepare for Your Day in Court. Okay, so I'm going to help you get ready okay, for your day in court next week, all right? So you'll know how to be ready uh, for that moment in your life. Number three. Everybody still with me so far? Number three. What are we learning about the end times? Jesus comes back again, sets in motion the judgment. How many judgments are there? Great white throne judgment for the sheep and the goats. Sheep don't have to worry about it. And then there's the judgment seat of Christ. And number three, a new heaven and a new earth will be created. Jesus will create 
And that moment in time, as a part of this process of judgment, as that judgment is coming to a conclusion, some will say, well, how in the world will every person ever been, be judged and have time before God? Listen, we have eternity. I promise you, you'll have your time on the judge's docket. I promise you, okay? And there will be this moment that there will be the creation of a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. And while history as we've known it, as, as the world that we've known it, it's going to come to an end. It's not going to be the end because God has an eternal plan for those who are His. If you belong to Him, there's an eternal plan. Listen to Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. John, again writing here, says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or crying or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne, this is referring to Jesus, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, I, I am. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the springs of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. John says, I saw that God created this thing called a new heaven and a new earth. Peter refers to it in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And let's think about this for a moment. Who created the world that we're in today? God created it. But what happened to the world that we're in today it was corrupted by sin, correct? Okay. Before Adam and Eve sinned against God and rejected God and rejected God's command in their life, the, the, we, the world was a paradise. There was no curse in the world. But as soon as Adam and Eve disobeyed God, not only did they experience curse, but the world experienced a curse. That's why when you farm or when you plant a garden, you have to do that terrible thing called pulling up weeds. Why? Because weeds are a part of the curse. Have you ever noticed the weeds grow faster than your tomatoes, okay? And that's a part of a cursed world in which we live. But when Jesus comes back again, that curse is going to be removed and the world will be in its beautiful splendor made brand new again. It will be the paradise that you cannot even imagine. Do you know that the world itself, even creation, is waiting for that day? Take a look with me at Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. For all creation, the trees, the flowers, the plants, the animals, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are against, against its will. All creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning 
as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So Jesus comes back again. The judgments are established, the great white throne judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, and then there's a creation of a new heaven and a new earth that transpires. So don't think that you're getting away from earth. There's just going to be a new heaven and a new earth, a molding together of heaven and earth, just like Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven, a molding together, truly heaven on earth and earth and heaven molded together. And I'll give you another another uh, dimension of good news, you're going to have a brand new body. You're not going to be some disembodied spirit floating around somewhere, okay? Some kind of blob of something, okay? That's what I say that sort of jokingly, but that's the, that's the mentality a lot of people have about going to heaven. I'm just, what would we turn into? Some kind of blob that sort of floats around. I've sort of jokingly talked about, you know, kind of floating from cloud to cloud and playing the harps and all that kind of, no, that's not, that's for the angels to do. You're not an angel, you're a human being, okay? And God created you, and so you're gonna have a brand new body, okay? But it will be a body, okay? There will be a body. Take a look at what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 through 44. Paul says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. I want you to think with me for a moment about this. You say, what does that, what does it mean? Spiritual body, is that not talking about some kind of disembodied, weird sort of ghost-like creature? No. Think about this. Jesus died, did he not? Did he die on the cross? Hey, he was dead. Okay, don't ever let, he didn't just, he didn't just faint for a couple of days. Okay, he died. Okay, he died. He died for the sins of the world. He died and they buried him. But on the third day, on the Easter morning, he rose from the grave. When Jesus rose from the grave, did he have a body? Did he? Did he? He had a body, didn't he? Okay. Did people recognize him? Yes. Now he was able to, uh, he, he, on the road to Emmaus, he, he, he withheld his identity at a certain point with those, but by and large, his disciples knew it was Jesus uh, with him. And in fact, the Bible tells us in John chapter 21 that Jesus sat down and had breakfast with his disciples. He ate fish with them uh, on a morning together. And so guess what? You're probably going to get to eat in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? No, okay. All the calories are going to hell. Amen. In the name of Jesus. All right. Okay. Right. So we'll just cast them down into the pit forever. Amen. Okay. That's not theology. That's just, okay. That's, okay, that's just please understand. Don't go back saying, Pastor Dale is kind of weird. It's a little heresy going here. So, okay. What I'm saying is that we get this idea that we're not going to have a body. Remember when Thomas said, yeah, prove it to me, Jesus. That's really you. Jesus, come here. Right here. 
he had a body. And so the spiritual body is not going to be some weird myth, mythical kind of thing. It's going to be a real body that will, it has spiritual, it's not going to be perishable as we know our natural bodies are, but you will have a body in which you will live for all eternity and will be a body that has been glorified by the presence and the power of God. Let me give you seven things that help you to understand what heaven is really going to be like. Are you ready for these things? Okay. I'm going to answer you some of your questions about what is heaven going to really be like. Seven things here. A new combined heaven and earth will be our forever home. New combined heaven and earth will be our forever home. We will have new, very real, and forever bodies. Just talked about that. That's going to be real, okay? Not some phony little body or fake body. No, you're going to have a real body, spiritual body, but nevertheless a real body. In heaven, you're going to have very real, meaningful relationships, You'll have friends in heaven. And guess what? You'll have real friends in heaven. You'll have better friends in heaven than you've ever had on earth. Because a lot of us, how many of you know you can't always count on your friends down here? Sometimes your friends will stab you in the back or they'll talk about you behind your back and you're not quite always sure who you can trust. But when you get to heaven, all that sin has been removed and all that garbage that happens to the corruption of mankind and relationships, it's gone away. You're going to have friends in heaven, real friends in heaven. You'll have friendships with those that you've known here on earth, that you've spent time with, family members who've gone before you, who knew Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives. And I talked about a few weeks ago, you're going to get to see Moses and Abraham and all these folks. You're going to be, you'll truly have the opportunity of interacting in real ways with real relationships in heaven. You'll also enjoy meaningful activities there. You're not just going to float around. There'll be activities. There'll be work that we'll do, but not the work that wearies us, the work that fulfills us. Have you ever noticed before that in their times, some work will wear you out, other works energizes you because it's something you're passionate about, something you enjoy doing. And so we will have activity that will be meaningful and enjoyable. We're going to continue to expand, our learn and expand our knowledge. You see, God will give us, there's, I mean, just imagine how we can expand our thinking and expand our knowledge and our understanding throughout the eons of eternity. And so there's an ever-increasing capacity to learn. You're not going to be sort of stuck as a, as a, in your, your, your mental state that you're in now. No, you'll be free and able to learn and grow. It's also likely that the new heaven and the new earth will be populated with animals that are enjoyed. Somebody said, will my dog go to heaven? Will my dog go to heaven? Well, your dog might. Not sure about your cat, but your dog might, okay? okay so. No, don't send me any emails, all you cat lovers out there, okay? I'm joking, okay? I'm joking. That was not original with me. I heard somebody else say it, so I'm just passing on what I heard, okay? That's all I'm doing, just passing on what I heard, okay? But the Bible talks about the lion and the lamb laying down together. The Bible talks about the horses in heaven. The Bible talks about all kinds. I mean, who created animals? Will your favorite pet be there? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. I have no idea. I mean, we don't know for sure, but it's not going to surprise. It certainly would not surprise me to see animals populating heaven. Actually, we're not just going to be heaven. It's earth, too, because there's a new heaven and a new earth that will transpire. So we have to change our thinking about all of this. And also there will be nothing dull or boring about eternity. Amen? 
nothing dull, nothing boring about eternity. 1 Corinthians 2.9, however, it is, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. Last point today, we must be ready every day for that day. When's the end? Pastor Dale, when's the end going to come? I don't know. Nobody knows. We don't know. But it could be any day. There'll be a moment when the Father will say to the Son, now is the time. Now is the time to return. But understand something. Once it comes, it's over with. Once it comes, it's over with. The same way that Noah experienced that, that for many years he built an ark and preached that rain was coming and nobody believed him. Nobody believed that judgment was coming on the earth. And so they bypassed Noah every day as he's building this thing called an ark. And there came a moment when he was all over with. God said, now is the time. Genesis chapter 7, verse 13, then verse 16. That very day God had gone into the, excuse me, Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. Verse 16, then the Lord closed the door behind them. Now, when God closed the door behind them, nobody could get in. Are you hearing me? They had years and years, decades, while Noah is preaching this message. There's a flood coming. There's a flood coming. There's a flood coming. It's going to rain. I'm building an ark. Here's the ark of safety. You're welcome to come with us. Everybody walked by day by and just ignored Noah, paid no attention to what he had to say. And the Bible says there was a day that God put Noah and his kids in the ark and his wife and all the animals, and God shut the door and when God shut the door, you, you couldn't get in any longer. The time to get ready for Jesus' return is not in the last 24 hours when you expect him coming or the last two hours when you expect him coming to come. But the time to get ready is today because we don't know when he's coming. I want you to listen closely and in a, in a sober manner to these last verses that I want you to read. I want to re read for you. And I pray that these verses will sober every one of us here today, myself included. These are the words of Jesus, Matthew 24. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you, must, you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Matthew 25, again, words of Jesus. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. That is, they were prepared, they were ready. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. This is the midnight cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and, and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. That is, we, we were not prepared for this moment. We didn't get any oil for this moment. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both, both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. This is the last moment. Run to the store and see if you can find some. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was 
What did God do with the ark? Shut the door. What does this parable tell us about that last day? And the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. And then he concludes this. Jesus does with these words. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we thank you today for the opportunity of studying your word and thinking about this exciting moment, the last day when you'll return again. Thank you that you've taken the punishment for us so that we're a part of the, the sheepfold, that we belong in your family, those of us who've given our lives to you. And Lord, we want to be ready for that day. And I pray today that you'll help us to be sober, to live our lives in an awareness each day in preparation for your coming. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here today who's never opened their heart and their life to you, that they've never received you as Lord of their life, let them receive the gift of your love, the gift of salvation today, that this will be their day when their names will be written in the book of life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.